Are you cyber confident? Do you know what your digital footprint is? Do you understand the reasons you're a cyber target? In this podcast series, you'll learn what it means to be cyber confident both at work and at home. Because when it comes to cyber security, the front line is you. I'm Josella Waldron, and this episode is all about online gaming. Lieutenant Commander Gordon Jones is chair of the Royal Navy eSports team and chair of the Royal Navy Video Gaming and eSports Association. He explains the risks involved while playing online and how to protect yourself from cyber threats. First, though, Lieutenant Commander Jones told me about his lifelong love of video games. I got my first console a long time ago and I've been playing games well, realistically since the early 80s with the emergence of the very first generations of consoles um, I started gaming but of course back in those days what you did was you gamed on your own you, you put into the console you put a cassette into the console and you would play on that but you couldn't play online and then as the internet started to emerge I started playing in LAN parties and things like that with friends when I was at university you take your computer along and everyone just sets up this massive snake's wedding of cables running around inside a house and everyone connects up all their computers and you just play against each other and then as literally as as internet gaming started to become much more common i joined the navy and started traveling an awful lot and online gaming kind of passed me by for a number of years then I play, started playing a few a few different games, and then just recently, in the last 18 months, two years, I've got back into it again, um, and I've started to discover the joys and the excitement and the challenges of online gaming. It's also known as eSports, and you're very involved in the Navy eSports. Tell me a little bit about that. So we've got two organisations. We have a Navy Video Gaming and eSports Association, which is a welfare organisation for members of the Navy, civil servants who work for the Navy, reservists, Marines, our veterans as well, to be able to connect and find like-minded people to be able to game with. Playing a wide variety of computer games, from people who play games playing on their phone to people who game in the most competitive esports around. All of that is played in some way or another by, by people in the in the Navy, and they're all welcome to join the association. The Navy eSports team is my competitive arm. So those are my most competitive players. They're the people who play the really high-end eSports comp- competitions. And those we run selection competitions exactly the same as any traditional sporting organisation would. And we, we run selection events and training camps and people will make the team or they won't make the team or they'll make reserves on the team and then those people go forward and represent the navy at um, competitions some of those will be into services playing against the esports team from the army and the RAF. some of them will be international playing against esports teams from other nations some of them will be against civilian teams and such like and it's a really wide dynamic of people that we can play against and actually the last 18 months the fact that we were able to play these games from home has meant that we've seen a lot of representation from the navy esports team at a lot of different competitions can you give me a a rough figure of how many people are involved so we've got about 500 members in the association 
for the Navy at the moment. The Army are at about 3,500, 3,800. Uh, the uh, RAF are a touch over 2,000, but we're the newest of the associations. So the um, RAF formed in 2019, the Army formed in 2020, and then we formed in 2021. What is it that appeals to people? Why do people get involved in online gaming? It's accessible, I think. I think people like having something that they can access from home, that they can do in their downtime. Um, I think it's something which is inclusive by design, even if it's not necessarily inclusive by nature, because actually a lot of gaming is something that people who wouldn't thrive at traditional sports are able to thrive at. Some people who thrive at traditional sports are excellent um, esports competitors as well. Uh, And if you look at people like Lando Norris from Formula One, who is both a you know a world-class formula one racer and runs an esports team and competes at the highest levels in esports as well there is no barrier between people who are good at sports and people who are good at esports some people are good at both some people are good at one or the other but it is inclusive by nature yeah those people who who want to get into esports realistically the single biggest barrier is having the equipment to be able to play the esports it's the esports on top of that it is distributed so to play football you need to have enough people to be able to create a game you know realistically your minimum number is four and for people who who don't live in town or people who don't go out and see people people who have things like social anxiety they can get online and they can meet people online and i've met a lot of people in the last 18 months for whom esports is their opportunity to be able to connect other people and it's an excellent opportunity that we didn't have five six seven years ago so it's attractive to a lot of people but unfortunately This is a podcast about cyber awareness. Cyber criminals quite like to get involved as well, don't they? Tell me about that. Absolutely. There's a lot of um, a lot of things involved in in esports. But because esports is is competitive by nature, that means that there must be something to compete for. That means that there are prizes. Um, and the nature of a lot of of esports games as well is that people uh, invest money in order to be able to increase their abilities. At that point, things become financially attractive. If there is money for winning a competition, then that means that there may be someone who's willing to cheat. And exactly the same way as people will use uh, artificial stimulants in order to make themselves more competitive at a sporting event, people will use hacks um, and exploits in game in order to make themselves more competitive in computing, uh, in esports. People who invest a lot of time and money into their um, accounts for being able to play esports will sometimes find that their accounts are hacked. And because a lot of people do not practice good cybersecurity awareness, when they start setting up their accounts, maybe people recycle their passwords. And by putting yourself out there by playing esports and being seen, um, if someone chooses to then try and, and hack your account and finds that you have an exploitable password, 
well then they'll start trying to find other things and they'll start searching for, for bank account details or email details or, or almost anything um, which which is an exploitable factor which means that realistically esports is something where you have to start practicing good cyber security and good cyber health right at the very beginning which is especially important with esports because so many children play and it becomes an opportunity for them to learn good practices very very early in your opinion what are the main risks to cyber security that an individual player may experience when they're playing games online as well as what i've just said uh, there's also the fact that a lot of gaming communities also communicate very freely there's a lot of there's been a huge growth in the discord platform uh, for communications recently which allows people to um, talk to each other on a platform which is designed by gamers for gamers to use. Um, it has a huge amount of capability within it and a lot of security built in, but a lot of the security settings within it are as vulnerable as the, as the security in anything else. Just this week, one of my gaming platforms um, has put up a warning about an exploit in Discord which is being used to try and hack people's accounts because being able to find out, you know, hack into someone's Discord allows you to be able to find out what games they play, which allows you to be able to find out what other methods you may have of being able to exploit information that the cyber threat, a cyber actor would be able to get hold of. This is why for a lot of people, and we, we, we encourage good cyber health, within the navy team um you know it's getting people to think about things that make you safer like using auto-generated passwords and password managers um, to be able to protect yourself and using um things like two-factor authentication to mean that even if someone does manage to work out you know what your password is they can't get in without having access to your 2fa the same is true of twitch as well so twitch is a platform for being able to live stream games um, and that has two factors to the threat. Some people don't stream, but they get involved and go on and watch. They may uh, comment upon things. And again, for people trying to effectively mosaic information together about an individual, that all becomes something which they can do using Twitch. For people who live stream their games, a lot of them use face cams, which means that they may well be putting part of themselves an image of themselves out there into the world as well which again becomes a matter of good practice to protect yourself especially for our, our esports gamers uh, who are in the military what impact do you think that the pandemic and lockdown has had on online gaming and consequently have there been any cyber security incidents relating to online gaming and the pandemic the pandemic has has had a massive impact on online gaming um, the number of people who game has increased uh, exponentially within the uk especially um, and we've now seen a case that not just people who game but people who watch gaming so people who stream um, online gaming has increased to something like one in seven members of the british public stream online gaming and about one in five of those people also play online games as well. But when you then take that down to filter it by age range, it's something like 70% of 12 to 
20 year olds i think it was stream games and play online games which means that we've seen this massive explosion of interest in get online gaming and people getting into it and people getting into it quite young which is where you then get to that stage of of having to teach good uh, online cyber health online cyber security to very young people effectively to start them at that stage of them thinking about good cyber security and good cyber health but yes there have been incidences of um of, of cyber security um i can't go into huge numbers of details i'm not aware of, of a lot of them um, we've seen a lot of instances of people uh, getting penetration tested on their um, on their personal computers after playing in a game against someone um, because someone didn't like the way that they were playing or something or took objection to someone doing something in game um, and used one of the exploitable tools available through the internet through the dark web in order to um, almost penetration test someone's um, internet connection at home probably with anticipation of trying to dox or ddos them and there's an entire new language of cybersecurity threats around online gaming so ddos is a um it's an attack against your internet connection so effectively what you do is you use one of the online tools to be able to use a botnet of some description to constantly query into someone's internet connection so effectively your internet connection depends upon it having a relatively quiet stable connection at home um, in order to, for you to be able to do things and a ddos attack basically floods that internet connection with lots and lots and lots of computers on a botnet somewhere most of which have no idea that they're on the botnet all flooding your computer with a who are you who are you who are you who are you and your compute your internet connection is so busy responding to those because normally they're a high priority but low bandwidth um, request but when you get a million of them coming in every minute your internet connection is completely flooded which means that you'll be forced offline from everything apart from your your internet trying to answer those queries ddosing is, is a, an inconvenience for us but a suitably powerful botnet would be able to ddos a massive website so we saw this last year i think one of the banks um, had a ddos attack launched on their website it, it forced the bank's um, internet to to shut down for a period of a couple of days because it costs practically nothing to be able to to make launch an attack like that doxing is is more insidious um, insofar as doxing is where you use cyber exploitations to be able to find out about a person that you've encountered online and find out information about them in the real world and then posting it openly online so similar to what happened with uh jk rowling where people found you know po posted her her home address on the internet making a, a statement there uh, regarding a threat that potentially would have had an impact on her personally and doxing is I wouldn't say slightly less extreme, but it's an alternative form of swatting, which was which was a big deal in America uh, last year um, and the year before that, where someone would um, effectively, if someone had been doxxed previously, they would wait for that person to be on stream and then would call in a 911 emergency call about an armed incident occurring at that person's home address, which would lead to US 
um, SWAT armed police breaking into that person's house because they believed there was a hostage situation happening. And on at least one occasion, someone was shot. (gasps) Oh my goodness. So for any parents listening to this, I think they're probably quite, they're, they're thinking, what's going on in my children's bedrooms? Is my internet, are we going to be cyber attacks due to somebody playing FIFA in the other room? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a big thing, as you've already said, with, with teenagers and children. Do you think there's a, there's a big risk there? And what should parents be doing about it? Because it's, it's quite difficult when you haven't grown up with this stuff or you haven't got an interest in gaming when your children have to know what they're doing and what the best practice is. So the best practice is, is start teaching good cyber health and cybersecurity practices early. I have I have teenage children myself, um, and I've started working with them to go. Okay, let's talk about passwords. Let's talk about how you make a password genuinely secure. Let's talk about you know two-factor authentication and how you can make it. Even if someone can hack your password, even if they can do that, if they don't physically have access to whatever you're using for your two-factor authentication they can't get in, which effectively then secures you and safeguards you. For people who aren't, aren't aware of this, have a look online. There are lots of different resources online for being able to learn about good cyber health and good cyber security. The answer isn't take them offline. The answer isn't and can't be stop them doing these things because it is, it is part of life um, today in the 21st century online gaming and being able to game online learning to do that safely um, and being able to operate online safely is going to be an essential life skill for our children which means that we can't let our lack of education on this because it's not where we were raised it's not what we were raised with we can't let that lack of education stop them from being able to do it but we also can't let that effectively allow them to do it without restriction and so effectively doing it unsafe we wouldn't let our children cross the road without teaching them to be able to do it safely we shouldn't let our children um, do things online with strangers without teaching them how to do that safely talking about strangers there's also talking online because there's lots of means of communication with the other players how much of a risk is that so there are some risks um, associated with that. There are places, you know, dark places on the internet and the dark web um, where there are, there are plans around this. And again, the answer to it is, is open and honest Discord with the children. Not Discord the app, actually Discord as in the word that it's based upon in terms of actually discourse, talking to them. Talking to your children about how to be safe, talking to my gamers about how to be safe online, teaching people you know that they don't need to discuss the nth degree of their home life. They don't need to tell, te- um, tell strangers that they're gaming with how old they are, where they live, what school they go to. No, I mean, you can't say this to some children because some children will talk about literally anything to anybody. Um, but if you wouldn't feel comfortable with them sharing that information with a stranger on the street, then we shouldn't feel comfortable with them sharing that information with a stranger online. And it's up to us, again, to educate our children on how to maintain these safe online habits. Have there been any instances where 
you or somebody you know cybersecurity has been threatened while online gaming? So I've had an incident where one of um, one of my gamers that I was gaming with, we had a particularly successful game. It went very, very well. They had an absolute clean sweep. They aced the game. They got a lot of abuse um, in the chat bars about it. You know, about five minutes after the game, they, they, they commented, they were like, oh, that's interesting. You know, my, my VPNs just pinged that I've, I've had um, a couple of, I've had a couple of people poke at my um, internet connection afterwards. And it becomes that matter of, you know, so even when they have that level of security, you know, people who are willing to pay enough to, to hackers to be able to, to get around that, they may still get to that stage. But then you get to the benefit of the fact that they had a VPN, which meant that um, effectively it, it safeguarded them against what could have been a DDoS. Wow. Gosh, it's all sounding very dangerous. Do people still play games that they can pass on to other people? And how does that work? Or is everything online now? So people still do both. Um, and there's there's definitely a place for um, gaming using uh, console cartridges and, and, and DVDs and, and such like. You know, for, for children especially, it's nice for them to be able to go down to a pre-owned store and be able to buy a game a little bit cheaper to be able to get hold of that because you can't sell back a digital code. You can't return a digital code. You know, once you've finished the game, to then be able to buy the next version or to buy an updated version or a different game that you want to try. So there is definitely a place for both. Um, I think certainly we're at that stage these days that you know my kids still occasionally will, will exchange a game with one of their friends in order to be able to play one or the other at home. A lot of the make manufacturers are, are reaching the stage where they're actually offering opportunities for you to be able to loan your code to another gamer um, and it will effectively stop it from working for you for a while whilst they're playing it um, but then we'll return it back to you on completion. And what are the cyber risks with not only a code but the physical games passing those around? The cyber risks for most of those are actually as far as I'm aware relatively low so with with most games they save your progress and your personal details for the game on um, on the console that you're playing on. Now this is slightly different for some of the gaming systems that use cartridges because some of those save um, details of the game on the cartridge uh, rather than on the console. Um, but games that use discs typically you can't do anything to that disc. It's a you know it's a it's a readable only um, item. Um, and it, it's read-only memory, so you can't you can't do anything to it. Is there anything people should do if they're passing around cartridges? Normally, it would be coded. As far as I know, normally it would be coded behind their personal account. So even if you loan someone the, the cartridge, they might not be able to access anything personal about you. So normally with a console, with a cartridge, what happens is it will save your progress in the game on the cartridge but it won't save anything about your personal account because in that mm -hmm. case the account is all held on the console so all the details about the console are saved on about you are saved on the console but then what it does in order to save it from having to create save files on the console to save memory it saves onto the cartridge just what progress you have made so if someone was to borrow your cartridge they would be able to use all the advantages of everything that you have unlocked in that game 
but they wouldn't necessarily be able to use uh, access anything about you yourself. In that case, let's talk a bit about consoles. If you want to buy a new one and you want to sell your old one, what do you need to do before you sell it? Make sure that you do a complete factory reset on it. Anything that you do uh, on your console, you need to make sure that you wipe all of your personal details from the console, any attached memory cards, um, any removable hard drives. You need to um, do a complete use, uh, return the, all of it to manufacturer settings before you take it back to the store because on at least one occasion I've bought a second-hand console from a store that had a removable hard drive in it that the store didn't know the removable hard drive was in there and there was still information held on it um, from, from the previous owner, which I, as a good and diligent person, made sure that I wiped the, con the, the hard drive, removable hard drive um, and took it back to factory settings. This is all such useful information. How do you think individuals can adapt their behavior while online gaming to make themselves more protected what are your sort of top tips to end on top tips um don't give people personal details that they don't need to know um the reason that a lot of us use gamer tags is because we're perfectly happy with people just knowing us by our gamer tag the vast majority of people that i game with have no idea what my name is in real life um, for those of us in the military don't discuss being in the military have a clear and consistent alternative story of what it is that you tell people that is you do and don't share information with people that you don't need to when it comes to creating passwords and accounts practice the good cybersecurity accounts treat treat your gaming accounts exactly the same as you would your bank have two-factor authentication set up use a randomly generated password that is if effectively not impossible to break but is incredibly difficult to break most smartphones these days come with a password manager built into them use them because it's almost impossible to be able to ran remember a 20 character randomly generated password but actually if it's saved in your phone then you'll be able to access it wherever you go um, and the account is there available for you but it's not going to be exploitable. When it comes to two-factor authentication use some of the authenticator apps that are available out there. They're, they're out there for a reason and the vast majority of them make your account safer. That was Lieutenant Commander Gordon Jones. Look out for more episodes in this series. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more by emailing the team at cyberconfident at mod.gov.uk.